Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. We talk about product management, development, remote work, and anything else that non-technical, as well as technical founders need to know to launch and scale software products. Welcome back, everyone. Today's guests are Laura Jumier and Lucas Clayman, founders of Menutech, and together we'll dive into how good design drives sales, saves on development, and increases the general lifetime value of your SaaS. We'll also touch on the life as married founders since they've been running projects and businesses together ever since they met. Laura, Lucas, welcome to the show. Hello, Victor. Yeah, good. Thank you for coming. Let's start off with just a little bit of a background uh, about you two and in your business. What has been driving you as an entrepreneur so far? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is uh, Laure Jumier. I'm the CEO of Menutech, and I'm a UI UI designer by training. And yeah, my name is Lucas. I'm the CTO of uh, Menutech. I've uh, been on the tech side of life for, yeah, probably well over a decade now. And that's how we roll together. That's awesome. And so you've always been a developer, is that right? Uh, correct. I started from university more on the business side, but I've ever since uh, transitioned toward after development, software engineering, and yeah, all that, right? yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, what else have you done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so similar to similar to some of the of our predecessors on this show, Laura and I have also started from an agency background. We basically ran like entire tech and marketing for different startups. We accompanied SMEs in their digitization, but we also navigated corporate environments, especially in the automotive industry. Built a lot of internal apps and services. I think one particularly cool product that Laura has worked on was a Call of Duty style task management solution for shop floor workers in, in automotive factories. It's, yep. it's been a pretty sort of broad and diverse uh, journey together. That, that's awesome. So you've, you've, you've worked at various places, founded your agency, done that together. And when did you take the leap towards, hey, I think we, there's, there's a software here? <laughs> yeah, doing this for a couple of years, we, we naturally developed a drive to build our own product, to shift away from this project work towards a recurring revenue business. Mm. Naturally, we started with the sector that we were, that we felt most passionate about, uh, which is businesses who serve food. Uh, we started in the niche of food information uh, for food service businesses. And over time, we have transitioned to focus on the healthcare market, developing into a leader in the food service ERP space. Uh, we now mostly serve hospitals and care homes, most in Europe, but also uh, US. And so what, what does Menutech do? Or, or we basically solve the, the problem to effectively run a teamwork in across different teams in the food service. Uh, we enable a personalized nutrition for every patient in hospitals and care homes. So it's the whole process from what meals to offer, who are they suited to, to displaying this information, collecting orders, putting together their and everything that you need to run a food service operation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. And, and that started, as you said, with is, is that with smaller companies and now moved over to more of the enterprise sector that get that correctly? Yeah, absolutely, yes. We've been starting mostly with hotels, but pretty, pretty soon we've transitioned to healthcare group and then more healthcare enterprises with multiple sites, large teams working together across linguistic barriers. I think that's something that we do particularly well. We excel at. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I know your your background, of course, and and you 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 feel very well in that in that sort of industry and sector. So that's that's fitting. And but but it's it's very amazing to see that you then moved upstream towards the bigger deals and bigger clients once that was validated. So I think that's something that a lot of founders want to 
achieve, but then find themselves trapped with like a very concrete value proposition, very very concrete pricing model. How did you how did you accomplish that? Did you, did you have to make any major changes, or or did that just fit those bigger companies as well? Well, like the the value that we delivered was multiplied right for a large organization, especially in healthcare, right? For so to speak, for the softwares to produce food menus, but of course for a for a patient, you're gonna have to do food menus, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day. There's no weekend break or anything. Uh, so the software was definitely more intensively used. And then I have to say, just it came from our customers really that they had ideas of how to kind of build a whole universe around this whole um, menu. And that's how it quickly expanded from there. But I'd say it came from our customers really. We, nice. we weren't really listening to them and being receptive to their feedback. Uh, that's very good. So, well, our our main topic, and that's what I really want to dive into here, you guys, is design-driven growth. And the common phrase in the startup world, especially with bootstrappers, is true validation is when you build something ugly and people still use it. That's that's when when you know you you got something there. Would you would you agree or disagree? I won't disagree, <laughs> but I will also say that that's not what you should be concerned with if you're at the stage of product validation. What you should be concerned with is good design, and good design does not have so much to do with the aesthetic quality of your software. What it has to do with is the convergence between convenience and reliability for your user. So what you want to achieve is that your software is easy to understand and that it matches the expectations. And once you match those, those two factors, you have a good design. And this good design is the bare minimum for product validation. And then once you expect, uh, sorry, once you once you, you surpass those expectations, so you're not just convenient, you're like self-explanatory and you're, ju- you're not just reliable, but your software kind of overtakes the thoughts of your user. Then you have not just good design, you have great design, and then you can use design as your USP. And and this, indeed, you can concern yourself about that at a later stage in product validation. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe to even backtrack a little, um, what is, because I, I think a lot of founders, especially without a design background, maybe aren't sure about what in your definition is even design? Because what you said right now obviously means it's not about the bells and whistles and drop shadows and, and, and things like that. No, it's true. Uh, so there is uh, two uh, worlds meeting in the word design, and I think that has to do also a bit with English language. Product design, you can both refer to the process, the iterative process in which you collaborate with different teams and build a product, build a software, or you can refer to the end result, the actual or end result, let's say, of building that product. And yeah, this and this this is where you have to decide and you have to be specific or specify really what, what you're referring to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That 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 obviously makes sense. And so you said for 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 a validation it is enough to be uh reliable to to solve the client's need and so that's what you're aiming for during during validation prototyping cycle and but once you have validated something how would you how would you step that up what what is what do you do then to add more or or better design or make better decisions even during product development or if you want to take this or the way i i see it is that what you need to it's back to this core principle, let's say, of product design is that you need to be user-centered. And that word has been overused, but I'm going to bring it up. And really, <laughs> one thing you need to remember is that you're using a technical tool for a non-technical audience. In our case, right, we're not an API-based business model. We're not a B2D. So our audience is a non-tech audience. And so really, what to really remember is that you're using non-human tools for human problems, to solve human problems. And so you just have to remember to be human and just
just be in touch really uh, with what your your customers need and what their problems are. And that, that beautiful moment where you go beyond matching their expectations and where you're surpassing their expectations, this is this is really through iteration, through uh, really just being there for your customers. A lot of domain-specific uh, expertise really help. This is where you got to go also by that bootstrap rule of doing things that just don't scale. And you have to go and meet with the customers, be there either on the phone or literally just like buy a flight ticket and go there and see how they're using your, your software, see their everyday life and, and be on the same team as them in solving their problem in an efficient and amazing way. Yeah, this is great. And this also ties in into uh, two topics we, we've already had on the show, which is user journey mapping, as well as UI UX testing, which I think if anybody's interested, they should listen to those two as well, because that, that really also gives a specific tool. And so uh, speaking of getting feedback from customers, how how do you do that? What What's your tool belt here specifically? Flying over? Any any interviews? Things like that? Yeah, yeah we've been extremely traditional on, on that side. You have to see people face-to-face when you want uh, real feedback. I think it is extremely difficult to implement this in a digital and scalable way. That's why we've been uh, flying out, meeting customers, especially when being exposed to a new contact. When we entered long-term care or care market, uh, we had no idea how a care home looks like. We have never been in one. We have no relative who is. So our way was really to fly out to, to customers and accompany them during the company them during the launch and uh, really learn uh, what the needs are on the ground. And as Laura was saying, those are things that don't scale, but they will give you the edge over your competitors to deliver a product that is truly outstanding. Yeah, no, that's like that would be at the beginning. Afterwards, like you, you train your your sales reps, you train, you know, you want your account executives, you know, to really be there, to be receptive, have those this good communication with the client. You can also to and rely on some good tools out there that can monitor the activity. You can uh, calculate, you can, you know, you can forecast when people are less engaging with your software. But indeed, at the very beginning, especially in, if you're in this prototyping validation stage, do things that don't scale. Mm-hmm, 100%. And especially since lately, everybody's been speaking about product-led growth and product-led growth only, where the goal obviously is to, to completely minimize any human interaction there possibly is. And I think that that is a very good thing. That is where SaaS is going in the end. And if you can make a product in a way that it really is so self-explanatory that it doesn't need any help, that's perfect. Yet in order to get there, I guess that's what people don't understand is a lot of times is yes, taking people out of operations is fine, but how to get there, you, you do need to interact with customers, even as far as, you know, buying a plane ticket, even if it's for a small customer, because they speak for their entire customer base. I yeah, I can give you a story like like I think it's very concrete, but for me that just works every time in terms of in terms of empathy, in terms of just getting it <laughs> what they need is using your software on your customer's computer. <laughs> uh, and you'd be surprised, like especially uh, if you have a non-tech audience. So I'm sure for all the listeners today, their computer is positioned in the most beautiful room of their house, of their apartment, and it has like the best chair. It has all the accessories, you know, because we are IT people. So our computer is just it. and then I can tell you I visited this one client of ours and one thing you need to know about gastronomy teams like professional gastronomy they uh, there's going to be the chef the sous chef the plongeur and then they all work in this mega room and that's where the magic happens the food service right and then they have I think can be considered one of the loneliest jobs ever it is the chef patissier so he's the guy making the dessert and he's all alone in a room in the dark always cold and it's sort of like far away in a sad corner and I 
swear, this customer, the room where they had their computer was behind the chef patissier. So it was in an even lonelier, even darker, even less natural light. And then that, you know, that humbles you. You know, you remember that the obsession with IT is something very specific to people who love building tech products, but not necessarily those who use them or will, who will use yours. It's the, oh, I didn't test this in Internet Explorer moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. That is a very, very good story. So who who is on, on your own product team apart from you two? How's that, how's, has that evolved over time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we are a product team of a stick at Minitech. We're distributed across front-end development, automation testing, back-end engineering, and uh, developing marketing assets. And uh, yeah, in our staffing, we were you know, supported by Victor, uh, by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and literally since day one, I mean, Victor, we met at the Shuffleboard uh, bar in Berlin, uh, where we, yeah, <laughs> we haven't even started out though back then at t0 i think staffing was one of our main main concerns finding the right talent uh, matching it um, into the right team and uh, yeah i think your your support has been elementary for us to to get where we are today wow thank you and now you are six people also congratulations that that is that is quite a very nice team we're a, we're a bootstrap SaaS company so it has been fascinating to follow you guys over the past year how do you work within that product team do you have a specific set process like scrum or is it more something with less process what's what works for you guys yeah we i think we're in our tooling quite traditional we use uh, scrum we are a distributed team now since uh, the whole corona came to myself i'm a developer i take responsibility for the product team operationally i take care of system architecture integrations devops but lately i've been shifting a lot towards technical sales especially on an enterprise level where my involvement becomes increasingly important and that's where you know you need to rely on good uh, processes, good knowledge management that people keep aligned on your mission, so people feel um, you know valued in their in their role that they're working on. And I think that's I think really important to establish early on. I think right when you start uh, building your your product, uh, you have to really make sure to to undergo the necessary iteration cycles, but don't undergo them with the same part. So that's that's why I always say that you need to have a couple of iteration cycles before you even write your ticket, uh, because if if you let a developer redevelop the same feature five times in a row you're going to burn out the developer you know morale will be low and, and really you run in, you run the risk of developing a low quality environment people think that what they do doesn't doesn't really matter will be changed anyhow and uh, i think this is also my most important I think the most important part of my my job as CTO is to keep everyone aligned on what we do keep everyone motivated and you know make sure that we can undergo those those feedback cycles those iteration cycles without um, burning out every hour mm -hmm. that that makes a lot of sense because obviously iterating on in code is the most expensive way there is. Iterating in design is also not cheap, but way faster, obviously. So that's what you actively do? Absolutely. I think this is one of the things that I'm uh, most aware of um, all the time. Like, what are the iteration cycles? You know, how fast can we iterate with a, a given process? And then, I mean, with a given technology and given team. So I think choosing the technology and the platform, it, it naturally implies a certain velocity. And most of the time, like when you are, you know, when you're starting out with your product, and software development will not be the right answer. So I'm saying that as a developer myself, there, there are better ways, better tools. Uh, and that's where I think being design-driven is so important. Having a, a designer on board early on, it really helps you. You can fill out those gaps. You can um, speed up the iteration cycles. I mean, especially when you're selling larger tickets, I mean, you're going to end up selling things that don't exist yet. Uh, so you have to sell them. You have the sales cycle. And as the sale materializes, you start building the product or the feature, the module that you that you need to 
digital around this and throughout that process you need one one to fill in those gaps and I think those gaps are certainly not developers uh, I think in the most cases uh, what works best is you know have designers fill this gap to, uh, to get you to that point. and also if I may add designers are good at that like, if you have a classically trained designer if I could call them this way uh, they will not be afraid of uh, a lot of repetition a lot of you know delivering a lot of design outputs in a very short time frame I really when I look at some relatives and friends who study fine arts the kind of deadline that they have to meet uh, really having to design your entire software suite against an unbeatable deadline is really don't worry you can give them challenge and they will thrive in this environment so if, if, if there are any designers who will who will get uh, a lot of assignments after this podcast we, we apologize in advance but I think this is a very very valid point that, that you're saying and in my especially since last year when when I mean the demand on on the software development side has always been very 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 high in terms of the need for developers but since last year it has incrementally it has extremely increased and I I do believe that people could save a lot of manpower a lot of iterations if they focus more on the design stage again not saying that designers are good designers are less expensive or or uh, less demanded because it's just as hard to find a good designer but they can iterate just so much faster and uh, the results are, are just magnificent whereas just as Lucas said if you ask a developer to rewrite the same feature for the 10th time they will quit so <laughs> that's just what's what's happening and I imagine you do this and then you say well actually the client didn't buy it you yeah. build it for nothing <laughs> <laughs> exactly there's nothing worse for for development morale than that because in the back end you've already optimized algorithms tried to cache something tried to fix things and uh, then you have to do it again but yeah so that really ties back into into being design driven again what should a founder learn who wants to become more design driven who wants to take advantage of that what should the skills be how should should they refocus? So, I mean, there's a short answer and a long answer. So the short answer is is what we were talking about earlier. It's like, don't forget to be a human. So remember that you're building a, a technical product for a non-technical person and a non-human tool for solve a human problem. And sometimes it's keeping it that simple that will allow you to kind of be design-driven in everything you do. Keep it simple so you can have a maximum impact in all your decisions. The longer answer is, take a designer co-founder. We're great people. We're friends. We, we're good in this sort of... Like it's literally our job to work on a blank canvas. Like literally when I open my work tool and I'm starting, it's literally a blank canvas. So when you start a new uh, venture, a new company, a new startup, it is a blank canvas. So we're not afraid of that. Uh, and we will be a great collaborative person with development, but also marketing and sales or business development. Then you can also count on us to deliver a lot of those design outputs that you need a lot at the beginning and you need to iterate a lot at the beginning, whether it's a brochure, a sales pitch, a mock-up or all this. Uh, so we're going to have have a good throughput and uh, and finally uh, once you have a, a good designer who's thriving in this environment they tend to then become the perfect person to become a product manager once your work day starts to get more settled and more predictable so you will win a great product manager after you have a good designer uh, co-founder so you they will they will accompany you throughout the journey mm, which is a very valid point because i've seen some of the best product managers be designers well particularly for the reason because the goals are very very much aligned both roles mm -hmm. and you'll tend to have in your designers are those who 
The difference between a junior designer and a senior designer will be the amount of lifetime a designer has been exposed to a project. So typically, if you're just involved before launch, then you leave, you'll be more on a junior role. But if you've seen how your product does in front of customers and you've iterated it, et cetera, et cetera, this is how you gain in seniority. And that's why it's, it's a perfect step to then become a great product manager. This is great. And I also like your advice on hiring design early, even getting a design co-founder, which is very uncommon if you look at the startup days. Everybody wants a technical co-founder, but then they expect from them exactly what you just said a designer would be doing, to listen to the customer, iterate frequently, and obviously in the beginning be super scrappy, but then make it scalable to thousands of customers, the same person, and build a team, which is something that, you know, not every, this is, this is asking a lot of a technical person to be on a very broad spectrum. And uh, there's not that many people who, who are really that good at every stage and everything involved. Whereas you've just said, you've, you've described, this is more what, what designers do and are actually very, very good at. And then you know exactly what you need to build and you can hire developers very well. I love this advice. This is, this is great. And uh, I think that that is a very good summary of, of this, of this design thinking part. And so let's move on to, okay. oh yeah, go ahead. No, I just want to make sure, like, is there something that you think you, uh, you wanted to add or good? Very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't want to cut off anybody here. Oh, wonderful. No, the, the second part I, I wanted to chat about because it's, it's, I think it also aligns uh, with our audience. It aligns with uh, who our listener, listeners are and what kind of businesses they're building. And uh, that is about being founders together as a, as a couple, even as a married couple, which a lot of people I think do. A lot of people, others might be saying they would never want to do that. I've met enough of those as well. So that, that certainly is a very cool topic. Would you call Menutech a, and I know this phrase has been overused over the past decade as well, ever, ever since the, the four hour work week came out. But would you say that, that Menutech is a lifestyle business? Do you treat being an entrepreneur like being a, a lifestyle? No, I think as a simple answer, we identify as a, as a product driven bootstrap SaaS. The property of our founding team being that we're a married couple, it's not been a defining feature for what we do. I mean, it, it has certainly made a lot of things easier, but it does not shape who we are. It's one of those, I think, founding combinations that can work very well in the right circumstances with the right people. That's that's awesome because I think at the same time, even though you might not call it a lifestyle business, it still enables exactly that kind of a, a lifestyle when you're tied to a certain location or anything. Sorry, apologies if I <laughs> interrupted your question. But I would not agree, actually. I don't think that being a, a couple founder or married founder means, you know, sort of makes it easier to, do, to be a lifestyle business. At least my way of understanding lifestyle business is that you will voluntarily have income by limiting the work effort in order to shield every time. And to me, that is only possible in an industry where the revenue model is entirely project-based and, and where you have a 100% control of the projects you choose to take in or not. And that's why I would associate lifestyle businesses more with a creative agency or freelancer style. Again, it doesn't mean that every creative agency and every freelancer is a lifestyle business, but I think that it's more in this type of revenue model where you can exercise lifestyle business. I think like being a couple is not one of the factors that make it happen in any way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that, that's super interesting. Love this love this insight. Since since when have you been working together so far now? We have a long history of working together. I mean, going back to university when we first yes. met, whether it be for student assignments, uh, project, you know, late 
later on uh, in the agency and then when we started Menutech in 2018. So I think we've always been very close-knit in our collaboration, very complementary. I think what probably defines us the most as a team is that we have a very divergent approach to thinking and problem solving. I think that that kind of mirrors this design development contrast where Loris is the horizontal thinker. She thinks about uh, everything from, you know, not just the software, but, you know, where people use the software, in what context, with whom, what is their mindset, and, and builds entire systems around the product or family of products, deliver this experience that the customer is, is looking for and eventually paying for. Where myself, in contrast, I exercise mostly vertical thought. I try to think problems from A to Z, to, to think in depth about all their interdependencies, to create a logically coherent system. And I think those, those approaches are entirely divergent, uh, but this is exactly what, what makes a good team in my in my opinion. I, I see it so often and I think especially to, with a couple of founders the danger is probably more aggravated where uh, people tend to found businesses together with those people that they are close with that often are similar to each other and I think this is a very dangerous uh, path. If you're founders with too much of a similar, not just skill set but mindset and mentality then it may be hard to build a sufficient like, resource acquisition capacity as, as, as a team. Also because you might not find your distinct roles within the business and you almost try to compete within that your one specific area or how do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. I think in, in our case, we have a clear area of competence. I see this in every well-functioning uh, team that this has to evolve, yet explicit or emergent where defined by your skills and the times the time that you can devote to you know to certain tasks and that it will give you leadership and comfort over, over that. And I think for us, always we had a very open style of communication and she's a couple. I think that's something that can probably train and uh, that working and talking about work is entirely different from a private conversation and where you know you have to be able to express feedback we do that a lot and um, especially after uh, conversations with customers where we feedback each other we analyze the situation uh, build, build lessons for you know, all those situations that or similar situations that will arise and i think that's that's something where you know you can build capacity together and that it's it, it may be easier as a as a couple because you also have just more time in the day to to create those moments to exchange feedback and to yeah build build this capacity together so that, that sounds a little bit and, and that probably is is exactly true like if you if you step above and look at yourself as a team if you would hire both of you within your company and that makes sense irrelevant of are you a couple or not then that 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 might work out and if you just don't see that happening just in general not because of personal things but simply because there it, it doesn't make sense for the business then that will be hard is is that kind of it that's a good rule even though you know every couple is different i'd say that every business is different every founding team is different so it's difficult to kind of give a i say our definition to what make what makes such a, a team work but i'd say this like if, if someone is, is wondering right now if they they should found a business with their spouse or with their husband i think the first rule is if you want to do it it's usually a good sign i mean just do it but i'd say there are three red flags that where you should not do it if you have that so one would be if you can't disagree in public you know if you feel it hinders your couple to disagree in front of others and don't found a company together if also you feel it hurts your couple to not being able to like show signs of affection in public don't found a company together and also if you also need to be the kind of person where it's just a fact like you're constantly really passionate and talking all the time about what you do at work and what motivates you and then do this is a 
are a really good sign that you should own a company together because all those conversations, you might as well be talking about the same business. <laughs> you have a, a return on the time spent talking about work uh, if it's on the same venture. Uh, so that's usually a really good sign that you should found a business together. It's also a great way. I know that from, from my personal experience to never stop working because essentially you, there's always a topic to speak about even after work. But then again, that means that that you can talk about these things very, very positively. Wonderful. I, I, I thank you for that advice. I'm sure this will help people out there. I, I appreciate you guys coming on the show. This was super, super helpful. Where can people find more about you, about Menutech, get in touch with you? So you can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can follow Menutech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for us, usually we're very accessible if you invite us for a coffee. <laughs> uh, so Gotta buy tickets to you. Gotta buy a ticket. <laughs> We are foodies, so we are like hardcore foodies and tech techies. So, I mean, if you tempt us with conversations about tech or about food, we'll be there. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much and speak soon. Speak soon. Thank you. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way, so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.